This show was supposed to be the unofficial start of trade season, but we've got more to talk about now. James Johnson coming back to the Pacers, their vet from last year. We'll still talk in trades. It's December 15th. And the Wizards tonight, we have so much to get to on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today on the calendar is December 15th. So many more NBA players can now be traded. It's the unofficial start of trade season. The insiders have posted their first columns about the upcoming couple like month and a half we'll talk a little bit about it from the Pacers perspective today what could this stretch leading up to the trade deadline look like for them what makes sense what do they need to consider it's too early to say what direction they should totally choose I will supply some thoughts on that we'll also talk about the Wizards and James Johnson the OG from last year locker room presence extraordinaire going to be rejoining the Pacers but we will forget about all that as we start instead by remembering George McGinnis. For his, to his friends and family, I offer my condolences to you. Uh, Pacers legendary player uh, George McGinnis passed away on Thursday. The team announced it uh, officially, saying that um, he had cardiac arrest, suffered at his home, and succumbed to complications from that. Uh, an absolute legend with the, with the state of Indiana and the Pacers franchise 1969 Mr. Basketball at Washington High School of course going to the Indiana Hoosiers and being an outstanding player there in his one season playing going straight to the ABA Pacers winning a title as a rookie and as a second year player three-time all-star in the ABA three-time NBA all-star returning to the Pacers in the NBA as well it's hard to understate what he meant to the Pacers franchise are they even in the NBA without his stretch of play and success in the 1970s. It's hard to say. They did have already some success, but he was instrumental in the rise of the franchise in Indianapolis and their popularity and basketball popularity in Indiana in general. Him being from the state was a big draw for that franchise. He is a legend in the state. He is a legend for the franchise. His number is retired uh, and is hanging in the rafters for a reason. There will be a celebration of life for him. In 2024, the Pacers have a statement out about it. Mike Woodson does uh, from IU as well. And, of course, the Hall of Famer. There's not enough I could say about George McGinnis. Uh, Mark Monteith has a wonderful interview with him up on his website if you want to check it out and learn more about him and why he's so legendary to the Pacers franchise. Again, wishing the best to the McGinnis family and those who knew George very well. It's always extremely hard to pivot off of that topic into a podcast, and I hate and will never do it into an advertisement, but I will instead do it by talking about a modern day forward for the Pacers, James Johnson, who will be rejoining the team. Adrian Wojnarowski shared that on Twitter yesterday. Uh, James Johnson's agency, Priority Sports, confirmed it in their own tweet later in the day. Uh, after figuring it out, it's going to be a one-year, non-guaranteed minimum salary agreement for James Johnson to rejoin the Pacers. 
there's not a lot of basketball analysis with this, right? And I don't mean that to belittle what James Johnson is as a player. Like, he's got decent enough handles. He's powerful. He got some boards last year. Like, he started a game. They actually thought in Portland that they would need him a lot that night, right? He is not a, a useless basketball player. But this signing is not about basketball, right? This, is, this all, makes all the sense in the world. I wrote back uh, after the Daniel Tice buyout about what the Pacers could do with their roster spot. And to me, the best use was a non-guaranteed deal because it keeps the most flexibility for the Pacers and it lets them bring in another player onto their team that has value. And I think to me, on a deep team where already they can't find minutes for two first-round picks or Jordan Wara, somebody who's going to accept a role of not playing and still provide value is the absolute best use of that roster spot and contract slot. And that is exactly what James Johnson is. James Johnson is a vet, right? So many guys on the Pacers talked about this. Even this year, James Johnson was not on the team, but at media day, Jalen Smith was asked about him. He said, we're going to miss JJ for sure. Talking a lot about, you know, guys went to him for advice and for, you know, just good conversation in the locker room last year. Jalen Smith said that presence he had in the locker room, he was pretty much like the big brother to everybody. Everybody gushed about what he provided in those settings, right? He's been everywhere in the league. He's played for a bajillion franchises. He's played with MVPs. Uh, Derrick Rose, I remember him talking about uh, playing with Derrick Rose just because Derrick Rose is the guy that he uh, compared Tyrese Halburn's early season leadership to, uh, early, excuse me, career leadership to. It's rare that guys that young have that kind of gravity, but uh, Derrick Rose is the only guy James Johnson remembered. But that kind of experience matters, right? James Johnson knows how to be teammates with those guys. He knows what it takes to prop them up. He's, again, played for so many franchises, been with the Heat and in that culture, been to the conference finals um, with Toronto, right? Has played with so many stars, played for Carlisle in Dallas, played for the Super Team Nets. Like, he's been with there, done that in the league, and, of course, provides that locker room value. That's exactly what the Pacers need to me right now. And I think the timing is outrageously funny. <laughs> right after a night where there's a scrum no clue if these are related. In fact, very rarely do deals just like spawn in the middle of a day. Right. It's very, it's much more likely that, that Johnson and the Pacers had already touched base, but the timing is exceedingly funny. Um, given the fracas, as Rick Carlisle called it, in Milwaukee uh, after that, the game ball incident. If you want to hear more about that or you don't know what I'm talking about, Yesterday's show is for you. You will learn a lot. A very strange, illuminating experience at the end of the Pacers-Bucks on Wednesday. But James Johnson, back with the Pacers. I don't think, outside of garbage time, you'll see him much on the floor. Last year, he played 18 games. Sure, averaged 2.8 points, 1.7 rebounds. But 18 games, he only got 162 minutes, right? So playing time was not really a focus for him much last season. Being a vet, being in the locker room, being a key presence for these guys was much more important. And I have to imagine that's the case this year, right? James Johnson gushed about Tyrese Halberton's leadership in the summer, and he was so impressed with the Pacers' work ethic. Well, now he's back. So um, that toughness he provides, I think, that gravity is going to be so important for the Pacers, right? Like the, the Athletic did their anonymous player poll last year, and one of the questions was, which NBA player would you least like to fight? And James Johnson was the winner, right? He has that sort of intimidating factor to him, brings a toughness to the Pacers on and off the court. And I think that bringing in a vet makes a lot of sense for this team, right? They bought out Tice. They only have two players over 30 in McConnell and Heald. McConnell is a great leader. Heald, everybody likes being around him. But 
neither of them, McConnell has certainly grown in this area, but neither of them are thought of as just like this, you know, sage, know-it-all kind of vet in the way that James Johnson and George Hill both uh, were last year. And so bringing in and rebringing in James Johnson makes all the sense in the world to have that guy back, you know, at 36. Uh, he certainly brings a level of experience and age to this team. Like, it's wild to see the 2009 draft. He'll turn 37 next February. The key stuff to know from a roster perspective, they now have a full roster, but James Johnson's deal being non-guaranteed means that they could waive him anytime up to the league-wide cut-down date before his contract is guaranteed and his cap hit will just stop uh, once he clears waivers, so they could have some savings that way if they want to free up some flexibility. Uh, the guarantee date for contracts is January 10th, but you have to clear waivers by that day, so really it's January 7th. Um, funnily enough, yes, that is after both Bucks games the Pacers have next season. Who knows what kind of intent or next season, next year, who knows what kind of intensity those will bring. But, you know, last year they guaranteed his contract and then waived him to facilitate a trade and then brought him back anyway. So they were double paying him guaranteed monies last year. They clearly value him. And I don't think they'll just cut him to cut him. They would cut him because the cap space benefits of the roster spot is meaningful for them. So we'll see if he's going to stick around. If he does for the whole season, his cap, it'll be just over $1.4 million. Pacer space as it stand as a maximum uh, is about $8.2 million. If he makes it through the full season, that number could obviously go up. If they waive him at any point, they could bring him back on 10 days for flexibility, which I think is also a possibility. There's lots of stuff they could do to keep their flexibility, but using the spot makes more sense to me than not because you have an asset on your team. And if they don't think a trade or using that cap space to a very specific dollar amount is going to matter to them, having a very good veteran on a young team makes more sense than not. James Johnson back with the Pacers if he's going to have some sort of impact or if he says anything very illuminating uh, in the next couple days. We will talk about it here on Locked on Pacers. If not, just know the OG, the vet, as they call him, is back and how about this? Pacers make a roster move just in time for trade season. It's December 15th. So many more players can be traded. Mark Stein's blasting out stuff on the Jazz and what they could be doing. It's that time of year. We will talk about the Pacers and trades a little bit here in segment two here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. Before we hop in and do any of that, I have to tell you guys about the wonderful people at Dave. <laughs> At one time or another, we all need a little financial help, and that's why Dave is great. Dave can get you extra cash when you need a hand between paychecks and can help you build credit by settling extra cash advances on time. It can be useful for so many people with finances being intimidating. Dave is the banking app leveling up the financial playing field. When you download Dave, you can get up to $500 in five minutes or less. No credit check, no late fees. It's part of Dave's extra cash account. Advance the money you need with no interest. Then settle up later. How about that? Build credit. You can use the money to buy whatever you want and then pay it back in the future. If you're in a pinch, get the help you need by downloading Dave today at dave.com slash lockdown MBA. That's dave.com slash lockdown MBA. You could get up to $500 in five minutes or less. No credit check, no late fees. Download the Dave app now or go to dave.com slash lockdown MBA. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Eligibility, criteria, and instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve member FDIC. Thank you as always for making Lockdown Pictures your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, jump on over to Lockdown Kings. Because I was just watching Kings Thunder. It was a fantastic and fun game. Chris Duarte's on the Kings. DeMontis Simonis is on the Kings. The Kings are fun. Matt George is a great Lockdown host. 
You can learn more about the Sacramento Kings on Locked on Kings. Today, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to talk about trades. It's not my favorite topic. I prefer the basketball part of basketball, uh, but it is clearly a big deal for the Pacers. It's clearly a big deal for every franchise. And as a building team with extra assets, the Pacers are going to be a fascinating team in this landscape this year and beyond, right? How they balance and figure out where they are is still the biggest question to me heading in to the February 8th trade deadline next year, right? We heard it before the season from Chad Buchanan. The Pacers are thinking long-term still. I, if I were a decision maker, would also be doing that. Tyrese Halburn is under contract for six more years. You have a lot of time to build your team if you're the Pacers. But I am receptive to, they're good right now, right? They're fifth in the East. They're 13-9. and nine. They've shown that they can literally beat anybody, right? They've beaten a lot of top teams already. They also have some crummy losses. Their defense stinks, but their offense is the best ever. That's a good team. They have the ability now to potentially make noise in a postseason setting. So what they decide to do with those pieces of not competing, you can just keep your team now and they're not competing bits of information, but just like kind of pushing and pulling in terms of direction come deadline time will be fascinating to me, right? There is like for the right price, of course, lots of trades make sense. But do you want to do, do you want to go in early? We've heard Kevin Pritchard talk about his itch for the big trade before they talked about being aggressive around the draft. Woj is reporting on TV that they're interested in a two-way wing. Yeah, every team is, but like the Pacers should really be interested in that kind of player. But is it the right time? Right? That's what they'll have to figure out and what the next month and a half will dictate for them heading into trade season. And I asked that question because, you know, I, I heard this being talked about and I thought about it. Like the Hawks, the Atlanta Hawks. They made the conference finals. So that of course is alluring. And they think they're a good team and they should be going for stuff. But I think they cashed in their chips too early and they went for DeJounte Murray. And now they don't have the assets to make another trade to improve their team. And they're kind of stuck in the mud. They're kind of floundering around lower in the East. The Mavs had a good start to Luka Doncic's career. They went and got Chris Depp's Porzingis. They, yeah, they made a conference finals with that team, but then they missed the playoffs completely. And now they have very few assets to trade because they went really early, maybe too early. They didn't get a right, the right fitting piece. So you could talk about those trades in two ways. One, you could say they got the wrong guy. DeJounte Murray wasn't what the Hawks needed, although he's very good. Chris Porzingis was not what the Mavs needed, although he's good, right? And, may, and I'm receptive to that. But I'm also receptive to if you make the trade too early and it's not the right trade, it's really bad for building around a superstar Long term, the Mavs have one tradable first now, I think. Maybe none. I can't remember. The Hawks don't have very many because they gave up three to the Spurs for Murray. It's just all about, that's when I talk about the right time for a trade. If you're a really good team, you can get away with it easily. Be not easily. You can get away with it easier because you are really talented and your warts will be masked by at least some winning. That has not happened in Dallas and Atlanta. Dallas is now good again, and they, they've recovered okay. But you get what I'm saying, that the Pacers have to know it's the right time to me if they're going to do something extremely significant. If they're going to do something bigger that still makes sense, like a two firsts or less kind of thing, yeah, that makes sense. It's got to be the right guys, though, if it's early. So a couple thoughts I have within the framework of picking a direction. I talked about this when I talked about Zach Levine. Uh, and his availability now for the Bulls. But it really was in the context of Alex Caruso. To me, what we've seen with Tyrese Halliburton is he is so offensively gifted 
that one, he alone is enough for a very good offense, right? The surrounding talent matters a little, but not as much as it does with some other players. If he's on the floor, the Pacers have a pretty good offense. The other thing we've seen is guys who are traditionally thought of as being better as defenders than offensive players can be better on offense playing with him. Miles Turner, Aaron Neesmith, two name two, but there's more, excuse me, than that, that have walked through the doors in Indiana. And so with that in mind, I, if I'm making decisions for the Pacers, which I'm not, would be skewing defense with the skills I'm searching for, because I think that those players would help the Pacers more on that end and would be better on offense just by playing with Tyrese Halliburton. And you can't just throw everybody on the floor with Tyrese Halliburton at the same time, but if I'm searching for skills or I'm... I'm, there's two players that I have a very similar price that I can acquire them on that are talented. I think defense is a tiebreaker. The better defensive player is what makes more sense to me. Thing number two I'd be thinking about as the Pacers. Yeah, making a splash is going to be appealing, especially if they remain top five, top four, top six in the East, whatever. And maybe maybe the right guy's available, and they have the extra picks, right? Nine extra second-rounders the Pacers have right now, and an extra first-rounder in the upcoming draft. That's very appealing. The other thing they have to think about, though, beyond using their assets correctly, is using their salary slots correctly. This has now become more into the mainstream discussion points for teams making trades. Bruce Brown, team option next year. Buddy Heald, expiring contract, Right. If they are not on the Pacers, maybe the Pacers could have cap space, right? Maybe. I've talked about that a little bit on how maybe not to think of the Pacers as a cap space team. We'll see. But their salary slot could be valuable. if The Pacers aren't over the cap team, which is possible now, given the moves they made leading up to the team or leading up to the season, right? If they want to keep that trade flexibility or those salary slots going forward, does it make sense to think about trading Heald or Brown or whatever, for someone else making similar money, that's longer term, right? Does it make sense to think about their team that way? Maybe so. If they're going to be an over-the-cap team going forward, maybe those are more appealing trades, right? So longer-term deals, maybe not as unappealing to the Pacers as I previously thought they could be. And remember, we did a WAFO before the season, me and Jimmy Cook, about um, one of Miles Turner, Bruce Brown, or Buddy Heald being traded this season, right? Just because they are the big salary guys. I said 51% chance. I would probably take that number down now, given how the Pacers season has gone. And Jimmy said 70%. So like, yeah, that's probably low because the Pacers are playing well. But as the big salary slots, they are the ones that will have to be involved if something happens. Something else I thought about is, this kind of goes back to the defense thing. But in general, finding the right fitting pieces around your team is important for trades. And the Pacers now know better what fits around Tyrese Halliburton. And they'll continue to know better as time progresses. But a big thing that made the Nuggets go from pretty good and frisky to awesome was two specific trades. Aaron Gordon, who they got from the Magic. Great trade. Gary Harris, two firsts, I believe. Can't remember. And Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, which they got in the Monty Morris. uh, And I forget the other player involved. Monty Morris was one of the players involved. Either way, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope went to the Nuggets. Defense guys. Who can do other stuff on offense? Aaron Gordon's a good offensive player. KCP's a great shooter. But they're primarily defenders. And so around Jokic, they can be good offensive players, but their defense really helps them. Those kind of players make a lot of sense for the Pacers to me. And the Nuggets' blueprint in general, like how and the, the way that they built their team, is something I think the Pacers should be studying. Of course, they won the most recent championships. That's easy to say. But just building your team around an awesome passer and offensive talent. 
uh, is it. So I've talked about a lot of stuff here, and a lot of it's just general thoughts about defense and all that. What direction would I be picking? I said long-term. So to me, if I'm the Pacers, my trade deadline approaches, I know with Tyrese Halliburton on my team, I'm going to be good at, at a minimum good for the next six years. I want someone else with him, right? Duh. So I'm looking at every young wing that is even minorly available, and I'm and I'm offering a lot for those guys. I'm willing to do it. Again, I have extra. I believe uh, you can trade seven years of first. So Pacers have all of their own firsts going forward. So they can trade four of those because of the stepping rule. You can't trade back-to-back years, right? They also have an extra first that they got from Denver from last year's draft when they traded away another one of their extra firsts. Put that all together, they could trade five firsts in a package. I also have a lot of young players, some of whom aren't even playing for them this season. They have very attractive packages they could send out. In theory, any available player they could get. Now, other teams could beat their package, but they could get anybody. So, yes, every young wing that's available, every team in the NBA is going to want them. But if I'm the Pacers, I might be willing to overpay a little bit because I know I have the cushion of a floor of being a good team. And so that would make me, if I'm running the Pacers, trade a lot of stuff or all my stuff or whatever now is a very good young wing. We've seen the MO of this front office be about, you know, young players or at least young-ish players under contract for a while. Can they get that player who's a wing, who's that guy they've been missing to pair with Halbert? Now, now, listen, every team wants the the, the player archetype I just said. That's not an easy thing for the Pacers to do. I'm not just going to name names. I could throw around names all day. You can use the internet and search for good NBA players. But that's what I would want as the Pacers. Immediate contributors, though, are a little more appealing to me than they were before the season started. They've talked about how good Tyrese Halburn can be as a recruiter. Tyrese Halburn, per Woj, and he told Woj, apparently. That's at least the phrasing it came off from how Woj was talking. was talking about, like, potentially recruiting players to play with him in Indiana. If he can convince guys to stay... And it sounded like from Woj's reporting, the Pacers would be pretty confident about re-signing somebody. Then you have less fear about expiring contracts. And all of a sudden, you can view those guys as under contract with your team for longer. So any wing, maybe regardless of contract length, although you still have to be wary of that as every NBA team, like 27 or younger, I'm going for it if I'm the Pacers. And if they're older than that, but the price is right, I would still go for it. But I think that in their spot, I would be thinking long-term still, not like a seller necessarily, but just in terms of how I balance these things. But I would be willing to overpay for the right young wing right now. And so how the Pacers navigate the next couple months might depend on how they play, right? If they're still awesome and in fifth place and fourth place or whatever, come February 1st, yeah, go for it. Be buyers. Even if it's a minor upgrade this season, knowing what your team looks like in a playoff setting is extremely valuable, especially given what they know what they have with younger players in those settings. If they flounder a bit and fall to eighth, Status quo might make some sense, as painful as some fans might find it at the time. But getting that young wing, if one is available, or a young four, and just throwing a ton to get it, does make sense to me now. The Pacers have the stuff to do it. As trade season progresses, right? Today, Bruce Brown, for example, can be traded today. He could not be traded uh, on Thursday. I'm not saying the Pacers are going to trade Bruce Brown, but a lot of players now can be traded who couldn't before. If any credible reports linking the Pacers to specific players, new players, to be clear. Like, we've already seen the Pascal OG stuff that we've talked about on the show many a time. Then, yes, we will cover that here on Lockdown Pacers. Does it make sense? What's the right price? But in the absence of that, trade talk will be as needed here 
on Lockdown Pacers. I am not a speculation fan, although I do understand why people really enjoy those conversations. We'll see where the Pacers trend, if Buddy Heald's situation resolves itself from before the season, if any team's interested in McConnell. We heard a lot about Phoenix. If that comes to fruition, we'll see. And you know we'll cover it all here on Lockdown Pacers. But those are my trade thoughts as we enter trade season. One more short segment to close this out. The Wizards, who have a young wing in Danny Avdia, uh, for example, are the Pacers' opponent tonight. What are the keys to victory for the Pacers? Can they get back on track in Washington? We'll talk about that to close out today's show. But before we talk about the Wizards, we're going to talk about the great people over at Prize Picks, who make daily fantasy sports easy. You just pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. For example, Anthony Davis, more than or less than two blocks, or Damian Lillard, more than or less than four three pointers made in the game. That's it. You could do that with two to six guys and win some money. They also have combo projections across sports. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a combo of 10.5 three-pointers made in receptions. Prize Picks is a blast. They've got a reboot policy, so your entries stay in play. Even if one of your players gets injured, it is the most fun way to play daily fantasy sports. You have got to try it. Head over to prizepicks.com slash LockdownNBA and use the code LockdownNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. How about that? That is lock, excuse me, prizepicks.com slash LockdownNBA. Use that code LockdownNBA for a first deposit match up to $100 at PrizePicks Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy. Back here on Lockdown Pacers. Thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, jump on over to Lockdown Wizards. Hear about a team that is not playing well. <laughs> uh, beat the Pistons a few weeks ago, but that is one of their only wins. Bilal Koulibaly looks awesome. Uh, I am excited about that as a fan of Bilal Koulibaly. And the Pacers play the Wizards tonight in D.C. Pacers beat them by 23 on opening night. That is still one of the Wizards' biggest losses of the season. Pacers showed that night that they could have an elite offense, and they have maintained that pace ever since. Some key stuff to watch to for me, uh, to me, excuse me, uh, tonight about the Wizards. Thing number one, the Pacers could just score a bajillion points. The Wizards are completely miserable uh, on defense, currently last in defensive rating. Pacers scored 143 on them, unrefined on opening night. I think you're going to see a potentially significant performance uh, from the Pacers on the offensive end, and it's kind of a bounce back, right? They had a crummy uh, night that they're probably not in love with uh, from the, the Milwaukee game. They've had a nice schedule, by the way, with some of these bounce back situations where, you know, after letdowns, they've had a cushier game. Orlando, they had Atlanta right after they scored 157. Their terrible game against Boston, they came out and beat Cleveland at home. These don't sound as cushy as they really are. They're let down against Charlotte. They got to follow up with San Antonio. They're let down with Toronto. They got to follow up with Detroit, right? They're let down in Miami. They got to follow it up again in Miami, right? Those two-in-one cities are hard to sweep. So they've had a lot of nice scheduling moments, and they do again here. A tough game in Milwaukee with a very emotional ending. Well, how about you follow it up with one of the worst teams in the league, especially before a tough three and four nights. So that's nice for the Pacers. The Wizards can't defend at all. Uh, and they can't defend the rim. They're terrible at defending twos. They allow a ton of shots in the paint area, right at the basket. Opponents against the Wizards shooting 59 twos per game. That's the third highest in the league. And making 58% of them. That's the highest in the league. That is a terrible combination. So the key for the Pacers, attack the rim and dish from there. Right. That's why Wizards opponents... Uh, rebound the ball very well because they get easy shots around the basket. They give up a ton of offensive rebounds. Wizards opponents lead the league in assists, 
because it's easy to spray out for passes from there. It's just easy to score against the Wizards, and the Pacers should have a little trouble against that team. Their defensive rotations aren't strong. They're not good on the glass. If Miles Turner gets some rebounds and the Pacers play their game, get into the paint, and spray out from there, they should be great. Their style should already be punishing against these guys. Now, the reason for pessimism would be they have Kyle Kuzma, who's a big wing, who isn't in the star tier, but that's the kind of guy who does well against the Pacers and can gunk this game up and slow it down and make things tough. Kuzma's averaging 23 points per game this season. He is, in fact, a good player. He had 25 on opening night in Indiana. Jordan Poole's questionable. We'll see if he plays. But Koulibaly's a big-ish wing, although he's skinny. Danny Avdia's a big wing. Corey Kispert's shooting pretty well this year. Like, they have guys of the size. None of them are the punishing, can dribble and create type, except for Kuzma. But we'll see what kind of threats those guys can put on the Pacers. The Wizards' offense is not a total joke, right? They do have some talent on that end. They get up a good amount of threes. Stylistically, they're not awful, but they are so bad on defense that it just makes things so hard. So if the Pacers score, especially if they don't opening night, that should be enough, right? The Wizards might just not be able to keep up. And so the keys to me, uh, the obvious ones, the drivers, guys who can get in the paint and make the Pacers' offense hum, if they're just playing normal, normal games, not exceptional games, not reaching in any uh, sort of uh, matchup. If they get a normal game from TJ McConnell, Ben Matherin, Tyrese Halberton, Bruce Brown, even just probably three of those guys, that should be enough for their offense to be awesome. And then if Miles Turner and Isaiah Jackson look good on the glass, that also should be enough for them to succeed in this game, just having enough possessions. Like they are more efficient than the Wizards on a per possession basis. So I don't think the Wizards are like a joke. I think they're trending in a good direction. They're just not very good. They won two games in November, beating the Hornets and Pistons. Um, So maybe they're not as good as I'm giving them credit for. Uh, They beat the Grizzlies. Those are their only three wins this season. Not good teams. Uh, There's a reason that they have the 29th net rating. So the Pacers should win. They should be better than the Wizards. We have seen the Pacers have many letdown games this year, four or five of them. So it's not a fait accompli that they'll win, although they have been taking care of business a little better since that Portland loss. We'll see how focused they are after what happened in Milwaukee. And you know whatever happens, we will talk about it a little bit next week. It's going to be tough to say what next Monday's show is going to look like because we just have a back-to-back. So whatever stands out thematically from Wizards and Timberwolves, we'll talk about it then. We'll look ahead at the Clippers. We'll talk about this basketball team in general. And at some point... I want to talk about the Pacers rotation, not because I think anything's wrong with it, but just to look back at what I got wrong in my preseason rotation predictions and what it means about the direction of this team. Could be illuminating, one, to learn about the team, and two, to look ahead at their direction when February comes. Thank you all for listening today and this week. This is like 13 days in a row of podcasts, so if they have something exceptional happen against the Wizards, perhaps we'll keep it rolling. If not, we will see you on Monday talking all things Pacers basketball. I'm on Twitter. At Tony R. East. The show is there at Lockdown Pacers. That's the easiest way to reach me with questions, comments, concerns, etc. Or commenting down below if you're watching on YouTube. Thank you all a ton for listening. Have a fantastic weekend. We will see you soon. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free.
That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.